Okay, the first year of the whole new year. Um, today's year is going to be broken up into two different parts. Part number one is going to be the process of deriving this exemption called Osik be mitzvah patamina mitzvah, that a person who is involved in one mitzvah is exempt from a second. Um, we're going to see why the Gemara necessitates two different sources for this one concept and the different stances in the Rishonim and the early commentaries in what each one of those sources is coming to include. That's going to be the, um, the first part. And the second part is, once we have that derivation, and we know we resource it, so then under what conditions does that therefore apply? So that's going to be the two different aspects of the Shia we're discussing today. So let's go, let's jump in. So the Gemara, let's reiterate, the Gemara asks, Menahani Milei, how do we know, where can we source the fact that a person who is a shtiach mitzvah, he's in the process of performing a mitzvah. So how do we know that he's exempt from sitting in a sukkah? And consequently, when a person is doing any mitzvah in the process of performing a mitzvah, he's exempt from any other mitzvah. The Tanurah Brannan was taught in a brisa. A brisa is a Mishnaic teaching from the time of the Mishnah that didn't get canonized in the Mishnah. It was put into a sefer called the Tosefta, external teachings. So it was taught in a brisa. Right, we say every day, at least twice a day, you should teach your children, you should speak about them, about Torah. When you're sitting in your house, when you're going on a trip, when you're lying down at night. So the Gemara expounds, Why does the Torah say you should teach Torah to your children, to speak and learn, speak in the rules of the Torah, while you're in your house? So Prat, the Isik Mitzvah, it's coming to exclude that when you're Osik in a Mitzvah, you don't have to go and speak in learning. You're exempt from that mitzvah. You're exempt from teaching your children. Because right now you're involved in a different mitzvah. So why do we say a second pasuk? That comes to exclude a chasen. A chasen, while he's preparing himself to consummate the marriage and fulfill the mitzvah of pruravu, being fruitful and multiplying. So there he's exempt from saying the Kriya Shema He's exempt from St. Krishna during that time period of preparation. So now the question is, why do we have these two distinct drushas, these two different distinct points of learning, that the Gemara first learns a general principle, Prada Isik Mitzvah, and afterwards learns a unique principle to Chassan. We would think that Chassan, inasmuch as he's also Usik Mitzvah, he's involved in a mitzvah, so that would suffice the first principle, the general principle of Isik Mitzvah, to, ex- to exempt him from Kriyashima. Why does the Gemara necessitate a second limud, a second uh, learning, a second limud from this Pasuk? So Rashi, we'll see the Rashi together. Rashi says, Beshif techa secha, prad That he's not obligated in Kriyashima. And the Gemara later on will explain what the implications are. So what's that? Said the next Rashi, while he's going on his path, Prat is coming to exclude a chasen, a groom. He's not, he's not obligated in Kriyashma. So now, says the Gemara, says Rashi, I'm sorry, gav torid. So he asks Rashi our question. A chasen is also involved in a mitzvah right now. So if a chasen is also involved in a mitzvah right now, why do we necessitate a second part of the verse to exclude him from from being obligated in a mitzvah, so it should be included with the first exemption. So explains Rashi, it's to chula trei 
Nonetheless, we necessitated two different psukim. Why? Because if it only wrote one verse, since the Torah doesn't explicitly write that a chasen, a groom, is exempt from its I would have thought the Torah only exempted a person who is actively involved in fulfilling the mitzvah itself or in the preparation, mahalach mitzvah. So we would have thought that only active involvement in bringing to fruition a mitzvah or the actual fulfillment of a mitzvah would, would uh, be enough to attain an exemption. Aval chasen, but when we're talking about a groom, there he's being passive, he's not doing anything active. He's not actively doing any sort of preparation. So what is he doing? He's in his own headspace. He's mentally preparing. So there I would have thought, for mental preparation, there the Torah doesn't grant an exemption. Therefore, we learn from here, that this extra pasuk of that not only is an active involvement, but even a mental involvement is enough to attain an exemption from mitzvahs, in this case, Krishma, because he's preoccupied with his mental preparation. So that's the necessity for two different psukim. The first pasuk is telling me either active preparation or active fulfillment of a mitzvah would have been granted an exemption, Whereas when it comes to just the mental preparation or the mental fulfillment of a mitzvah, that wouldn't have sufficed. Kamash Malan, therefore, will you bring a second verse to tell me that no, even mental preparation is enough to attain an exemption from the fulfillment of mitzvah. So it qualifies also as an osik mitzvah, just mental preparation. Now this is, Rashi is a goldmine. Because Rashi here is explicit that tirda, that tirda being involved just in your mind, is enough to grant an exemption for mitzvahs. So if we revisit what we discussed last week, that we had two different questions. Why is it that Rashi says that even when you're walking to learn, that is enough to warrant an exemption? When if you go ahead and you're learning and a mitzvah comes up, you have to stop your learning to fulfill the mitzvah. The answer is, like we saw brought in the Chuvas of Nhagos of Ramesh Sternbach, that when the person's tarred in Torah, they're overcome, they're super involved, that type of learning also warrants an exemption. And secondly, Rashi said there's an exemption from learning, from, I'm sorry, from sitting in a sukkah when they're encamped at night. That was because, according to the Sri Deyesh, because the tarred, they're involved right now in the preparation for the mitzvah for the next day. So there, we see that the, the tirda, the mental involvement, the mental... Preparation is enough to grant an exemption for the mitzvahs. So now, that source is really from chasen. So now this is a very interesting idea. When the Gemara asks Menahanimili, how do we know that Shluchei Mitzvah Potter? It could be that according to Rashi, the answer is not from the first part of the Brisa. It really could be that the answer to Menahanimili is really from that we can source that even this mental preparation, this mental involvement of getting ready for mitzvah, that's already going to be our source for the halacha of the Mishnah. Now, Tosos, I'm not going to read it. Uh, the Ritva, I'm sorry. The Ritva has a different interpretation. The Ritva, which I brought to you in source 2, we're not going to read it together. 
um, just uh, due to time constraints. But we'll talk about it. The Ritva says that the first Pasuk is really the Pasukim out of order. This, he's bothered that really, if we're going to go ahead and discuss what are the context of the verses, so the context of the verses really would fit more that that when you're walking in your way, that is talking, it's referring to active involvement in a mitzvah. Why? Because of you're walking, you're moving around, you're active. So the context would say that on a person's of when he's going ahead and he's actively performing mitzvahs, so there we would go ahead and say this principle of Isik Mitzvah That's when you have an exemption. So why do I need the fact that the Torah says also Beshiftachabavisecha? So it comes along the Ritvan says Beshiftachabavisecha is telling me for the preparatory stages. That a Heksha mitzvah, just the preparation for a mitzvah, is enough to suffice uh, as a level of involvement in a mitzvah which would create an exemption for other mitzvahs. So here we see two fundamental differences between Rashi and the Ritva. According to Rashi, Rashi is not bothered by the context of the Psukim. He's not content, bothered by the context of the verses. He expounds them in the order that they're given in front of us. That Beshivta V'chaisecha is coming for Isik V'mitzvah. And Valech Techavadarech is coming for a chasen. And secondly, when it comes to Rashi, the first, if we just had one verse, we would have learned anything active. Irrelevant, it was the preparation of the mitzvah itself. And the second verse is coming for passive involvement. Whereas according to the Ritva, whether it's passive or active, it doesn't make a difference. The first Pasuk would tell us that only the mitzvah itself grants an exemption. Whereas the second Pasuk tells us that even the preparatory stages also grant an exemption. So those are two different stances between Rashi and the Ritva. Now Tosus is also very bothered by the Ritva's point that how come we're not taking into account the context of the verses? Right? That when it comes to Ovalech uh, Dechavaderech, there it's stressing, the Torah is going out of its way to stress that you're active. Ovalech you're halicha, you're walking, you're moving. Whereas Beshif is something passive. So if that's true, he's upset with the Gemara. He's so upset that he actually quotes the Gemara in Brachos, which brings the same drasha. And according to Tosvos, the order of the verses actually changed. It says, Tanu Rabbanan, Ovalech Dechavaderech Prat Lausik Bemitzvah. And then it says, Ovashif Dechavaisacha Prat Lachasan. And Tosus therefore says that's the, pre- the correct context. Now, if you, in defense of Rashi, we have two different things to do. We have to first of all address the Gemara and Brachos, and secondly, we have to say, how did Rashi understand? What did he do with this question of what do you do with the context? So, I would try to resolve that is number one, if you open up a Gemara and Brachos, so the Gemara and Brachos actually has that we have, that we have in front of us, it has the same price the, that's in our Gemara in Sukkah. The order in the Gemara Brachos is Beshiv Techavesecha, and then it brings a Vulech Techavadarach. So it seems like Tosus had a different print of the Gemara, and based off his different print in the Gemara, he wanted to bring a support to himself. Rashi, Rashi seemingly wasn't bothered because Rashi himself uh, might have the text that we have. So the question from Brachos doesn't bother Rashi, but what does Rashi do? Why did Rashi prefer to. He wasn't bothered by the context of the, of the, the verses themselves. Why not? So I want to propose that Rashi had a different approach to these drashas. When you look at Rashi, at a deeper level, when Rashi says, We needed two verses. Why do we need two verses? Rashi doesn't say which Fasik we're referring to. Rashi just says, if we only had one. So then, logic would dictate, we talk about someone active. But chasen, which is passive, 
There we wouldn't have included him. So comes along Rashi then and says, Therefore we have an additional Pasuk. So now it seems from Rashi that really we're not so interested in the context. What are we yes interested in? We're interested in the redundancy. The fact that there's two different verses. So if we're going ahead and saying, you know, forget about the context, but really there's a principle here. There's a, there's a limitation of when the Torah obligated you in mitzvahs. Now, when's that limitation? When you're doing things on your own volition. When you're b'shiftecha. When you're sitting on your own volition. B'shevestitcha, in your volition, you're sitting. Or b'lechtecha, when you're walking for your own volition, for your own needs. But what happens if you're doing something for Hashem, because God told you to, because there's a mitzvah? So that's not b'shiftecha anymore. That's not v'lechtecha anymore. But what's the one? The point is, you're doing something not. There's a limitation on when the Torah mandated certain mitzvahs, and that limitation is defined by you doing things on your own volition. So then, say that once. Why is that repeated? Why is that reiterated? So Rashi is focusing on the redundancy. Now, why? Once we focus on the redundancy, so now logical dictate what each one of those verses is coming to do. The first pasuk is coming to, we you know. Let's think about it. Active, active involvement. And there, we'll come ahead and say that while you're actively involved in the mitzvah or just the preparation, that's enough to grant you an exemption from other mitzvahs. Now, we see another verse, another exemption, another qualification of when the Torah mandated you fulfill its mitzvahs. So logic dictates that even passive involvement will will grant an exemption. Why did Rashi choose to focus on the redundancy as opposed to the context? So I would postulate that Rashi chose to do so because if we're going in order of the context, the Torah itself should have expressed its should have expressed in a different order. Instead of saying "Vishinantem levanecha v'dibar tabam, belechtecha v'derech, uveshivtecha v'veisecha," according to Tosfos, that's really how the Torah itself should have been written. Instead of being written "Vishivtecha v'veisecha v'lechtecha v'derech," it should say "Vlechtecha v'derech." Because first we're expressing the more simple, logical qualification that when a person goes ahead and is actively involved in a mitzvah, he's exempt from other mitzvahs. And then we'll say the more extreme case, that when he's even passive, that will go ahead and exempt him as well. But inasmuch as the Torah wrote, in the context, based off the context of what the Pasuk is actually conveying, it's written counterintuitively. So Rashi understood from there, maybe, that we shouldn't take the context into account, but rather we'll just take the redundancy into account. And that's what I propose is the source of the machlokas between Rashi against the Tosis and the Ritva, that Rashi is not taking into account the context of the Psilkim in order to make this these drashos, whereas when it comes to Tosis and the Ritva, they're taking into the context of the Psilkim. Why would they do that? Because Adarabah, the Torah wrote specifically, Whereas Rashi will say that since the order is indicative of the fact that we shouldn't take the context specifically, therefore we'll just focus on the redundancy. So that's the first stage. The first stage is understanding the nature of these two drashos. And now that brings us to stage two, is what exactly, under what pretext, are we actually going to be able to create this exemption? Now this next stage is going to be a little bit difficult. Um, just because there's a few variables that, that some of them are constants and some of them we're going to have to play around with to try to understand the different opinions here. So let's take it one step at a time. Um, I'm going to send on the group a chart 
to try to make this easier also. So if you want to look there for reference, hopefully that'll be helpful. And uh, let's try to do our best. So like this. Fact number one, and source number four, is a Gemara in Meseches Ksubis. The Gemara says that when a person gets married, according to the opinion of Beis Hillel, he has up until four nights to mentally prepare himself to consummate the marriage. And while he's mentally preparing himself to consummate the marriage, he's exempt from Kriyashma. Now, that's a very interesting idea. According to what we saw in our Gemara, the concept is, because inasmuch as he's tarred, he's mentally preoccupied in the preparation of that mitzvah, therefore that exempts him from other mitzvahs. So that's piece number one that we need in the puzzle. Uh, this is a Gemara. Everyone has to agree with this. There's, no one disagrees with this Gemara. That when a, when a person's getting married, he has up until four nights when he's mentally over-involved and preparing for the marriage, he's exempt from Kriyashma. Now, all that we've shown him here ask one question on this Mishnah, and they address it in different ways. So let's take one opinion at a time. The first opinion we're going to discuss is the Ran. He's brought in Source 5. The Ran asks the question as follows. That when a person is wearing tzitzis, yeah, a person's wearing tzitzis, he gets up in the morning, puts his talus on, so now he's fulfilling a mitzvah. Inasmuch as he's fulfilling a mitzvah, does that mean to say that he's also exempt from sitting a sukkah? Maybe we have a principle, osik be mitzvah potter min a mitzvah. If a person's currently involved in fulfilling a mitzvah, so then, you know, he's exempt from other mitzvahs. The guy's wearing tzitzis, so how come? If he's wearing tzitzis, he still has to sit in a sukkah. So the Ran says something very interesting. The Ran, the way he wants to address this, is says, you know what, granted you're right. When a person is involved in a mitzvah, even though theoretically he could actually, you know, stop doing the mitzvah he's performing right now, do the second mitzvah, and come back to the first mitzvah, and I'll get them both done. It doesn't make a difference. The Torah really granted him exemption, and he's not obligated. With a caveat, it has to be at the moment where he's exempt, he's actively involved in it. So, for example, if we're going to talk about that case of Prutadur of Yosef, right, we talked about last week that if a person makes an oath, he's not going to derive benefit from someone else, he's still able to return a lost object because it's not common that he's going to be involved in the returning of the lost object, when the poor person comes to ask for money. So that'll be limited to where he's actively doing something to, for the welfare of the lost object. He's shaking out the lost the, the talus that he found to make sure that it doesn't get moldy. So it has to be that he's actively involved in shaking it out when the poor person comes. So even though the talus might be sitting on a shelf and he's fulfilling a mitzvah of a Shabbos Aveda because he's waiting for his friend to come back from the business trip to return it to him. So if he's not actively taking care of it, he's not shaking it out, he's not going to be granted the exemption. So according to the Ran, Oseik b'mitzvah patamina mitzvah means when a person's actively involved, he's actively, he's Oseik in a mitzvah, so then he's exempt from other mitzvahs. That's even when what the Rishonim call it, even if at the end of the day, right, theoretically, what could he do? Even though he's shaking the talus right now, he could put the talus down, give the poor person staka, and go back and shake the talus half a minute later. There's no problem. There's no reason in the world he can't do it. But since 
he's actively involved right now, even though at the end of the day he could have checked both off, the Torah still grants him an exemption inasmuch as he, he's actively involved in a mitzvah right now. So how come a chassan then is exempt? The answer is, even though he can stop for half a minute and read Kriya Shema, and when he's done saying Kriya Shema, he'll go back and have his mental preparation, and at the end of the day he's going to consummate the marriage. He could have, made, he could have checked them both off. But since he's actively involved in the fulfillment of a mitzvah right now, therefore the Torah grants him an exemption. So that's the stance of the Ran. And that makes a lot of sense so far. So if the, in the Ran, the, how I would put it is we have three different variables. Number one is how come he's exempt when he's wearing tzitzis. He's exempt when he's wearing tzitzis because he's not actively involved in the, the mitzvah of tzitzis right now. He's passively wearing them. Secondly, how come a chassan is exempt? A chassan is exempt because he's actively involved in the mitzvah, even though potentially he could fulfill the mitzvah of Kriyashma also. And thirdly, what's it mean after the Kaim Shneim, that he's able to do both? That at the end of the day, he's able to check off both mitzvahs in the mitzvah box. So now, I want to refresh our memory. As far as I remember, we talked about this last week. In Tosfos, the opinion of Tosfos. Tosfos asked the same question. In Tosus Shluchei Mitzvah, he asks, how come when a person's wearing tzitzis, how come he's not exempt from returning, I mean, he's not exempt, I'm sorry, from sitting in a sukkah? So the way that Tosus says it is that you only get an exemption from the second mitzvah when the performance of the second mitzvah nullifies the ability to perform the first. Meaning to say, it has to be what he refers to as It has to be that it's an impossibility to fulfill both. And during a circumstance where there's an impossibility to fulfill both mitzvos, so comes along Tosvos, and he'll tell you that during those circumstances, you can't check both, you can't do both mitzvos. It's So then you're exempt from the second mitzvah, and you only have to perform the first mitzvah. But if we're in a situation where it's Efshalakayim Shneim, you could fulfill both mitzvahs. So then, if you could fulfill both, you're not granted an exemption. Just the opposite. Do both mitzvahs. So comes along, we have a tension because you're wearing tzitzis already. You're wearing tzitzis. What's the problem? That's called efshelakayim shneim. You can sit in the sukkah and wear tzitzis, so you're not granted an exemption. If there was some convoluted reality that you're only able to sit in the sukkah when you couldn't put tzitzis on, so then fine, you'd be exempt. But since a normative reality, you're able to do both. So then, we're going to help go ahead and you're not going to be granted that exemption. An example in the world of Tosfils would be, is let's say a person is at shul, and it's not so common in America, but in Israel it's very common, that when you're in shul, people come to collect money. And while you're in the middle of davening, you're saying Kriyat Shema, which is a mitzvah deraisa. And right when you start saying Kriya Shema, a poor person comes and starts going from person to person and asking for the money. Now, if you stop saying Kriya Shema, you're going to lose your kavana, you're going to lose your concentration, and you're going to have to start over. So now, there, in his, that would qualify as an ability to do both. If you go ahead and keep saying Kriya Shema, so there, if you say keep saying Kriya Shema, you're not going to be able to give him staka because he's going to walk out of the shul by that time to go ahead, or you could stop saying Kriyashma and give it to him, but then you're going to have to go back. So in as much as that's true, there's an impossibility to fulfill both. 
So, inasmuch as you already started the mitzvah of Kriyashma, you're exempt from giving the poor person money, and that would qualify, because it's an impossibility to fulfill both, that would be a circumstance, an example of Yev Shalakayim Shneim in the world of Tosfos. So now, if we're going to recap, ah, so now like this. So now, that makes a lot of sense. What, in the, let's say like this. And Tosfos, in order to have an exemption, the reason why you're obligated in Tzitzis and Sukh at the same time is because you can do both. So, if that's true, that you can do both, is the reason for the exemption. So now, how is Tosvos going to explain the Gemara of Chassan? Right? Chassan, in order to be granted an exemption, it has to be impossible to do both. Yet Chassan, the person, is preparing to consummate his marriage. Stop mentally preparing yourself for half a minute, say Kriya Shema, and then prepare yourself. At the end of the day, he's still going to consummate his marriage. So if, in order to grant an exemption... We need that it's an impossibility to have both mitzvahs performed. Why in the world is a chassan going to be exempt from saying Kriya Shema? What are you going to tell me? Maybe according to Tosas he's not. That's where we started, that the Gemara is an explicit Gemara in Meseches Ksuvas, that everyone agrees that he has four nights where he's exempt from saying Kriya Shema. That's undisputed. So Tosas agrees with that. And nonetheless, according to Tosas' parameters, in order to go ahead and be granted an exemption, it has to be impossible to fulfill both. And yet here it's a possibility. This question is a very, very strong question. So now, it's so strong that I think it's going to make us have to re-examine maybe Tosas has a different interpretation of what does it mean, what's it mean that it's impossible to fulfill both? So for this I brought you the Me'iri, it's in source 6a. In source 6a, the Me'iri says as follows. Kol Everything that we've explained up until now, that when a person's involved in one mitzvah, he's exempt from the second. Perusho, its explanation is as follows. While he's involved in it, right? Osikba is physically, Taradba is mentally. He's patami mitzvah cheres. He's exempt from a second mitzvah. Hamizdam menislo that chances upon him. Sheiav shala asoisa that's impossible for him to fulfill that second mitzvah. Eleim kain b'miniyasa shelzu unless there is the inability. Right, the only way he can fulfill the second one is by stopping the first one. Obi kuva or with its delay. So this last word is a gold mine. Why? Because comes along the Me'iri and tells us not only what's it mean, you're unable to fulfill both. So one interpretation is that if I do the second mitzvah, I'm going to lose the first one. Comes along the Me'iri and tells us that even delaying the fulfillment of the first one in order to fulfill the second mitzvah is already qualified as Yev Shalakayim Shneim. Now if that's true, We've answered our question in Tosfos. Why? Because Tosfos, in order to have an exemption of the of the second mitzvah, needs that in order to fulfill the second mitzvah, you can't fulfill the first mitzvah. It's Now, what's it mean you can't fulfill the first one? In the world of the Me'iri, we, the Me'iri taught us that it's impossible to fulfill the first one now. Meaning to say that it has to be that you're able to do both mitzvahs at the same time. But if the second mitzvah, fulfilling the second mitzvah necessitates the delay of the first mitzvah, that's already 
considered impossible to fulfill both, and since it's impossible to fulfill both, Therefore, you're granted an exemption from the second mitzvah. So if we're going to translate that to our case of chasan, of our groom, so since our groom is involved right now in his preparation for the mitzvah puravu, he wants to consummate his marriage, so therefore he's mentally preparing. What are we going to t- tell him? Delay your mental preparation in order to fulfill Kriya Shema? That delay is already qualifies as an Yev Shalakayim Shneim. It's an impossibility, therefore, to do both at the same time. And since it creates that circumstance and impossibility, therefore he's going to be granted an exemption from the second mitzvah. So like this, in the same that we had already our discussion in the Ran of what are three variables. Again, let's, let's make a sikum in Tosfos and then we're going to contrast with the Ran. In the world of Tosfos, why is a person exempt from, why is a person, I'm sorry, obligated in sitting in a sukkah while he's wearing tzitzis? He's obligated to sit in the sukkah still because he can fulfill both simultaneously. He can sit in the sukkah and where it sits it's at the same time. So there's no tension, which one should I do? There's no reason to grant an exemption. Now, why is a chassan obligated? I'm saying, I'm sorry, why is a chassan exempt from saying Kriya Shema while he's mentally preparing? Because in the world of Tosfos, you're only granted an exemption when it's impossible to fulfill both. And variable number three is that impossible to fill both means simultaneously. So inasmuch as it's necessary to delay the first mitzvah to fulfill the second one, that already qualifies as impossible to do both. And since it's impossible to do both, therefore you're granted an exemption from Kriyashma even in the circumstance of Chassan. As in contrast to the Ran, the Ran will tell you the reason why a person's obligated to sit in a sukkah even though they're wearing tzitzis, is because he's not actively performing anything with his tzitzis. A chassin is obligated because he's actively preparing. And after the kaim shneim means that you can get him both done at the end of the day. But when you're actively preparing in the world of the Ran, even if you can get him both at the end of the day, it doesn't make a difference. We don't tell you that you have to do that. Nonetheless, you have that exemption. So those are two main opinions here. Tosis and the Ran... Do you have an exemption from doing a second mitzvah only when it's impossible to do both? It's Iyav Shalakayim Shnehem. Or do you have that exemption even when you can fulfill both, when it's Iyav Shalakayim Shnehem? And the only difference is, is going to be, how do you understand chasen, the nature of the exemption of chasen? Is chasen exempt because you're always exempt as long as you're active in a mitzvah, even if at the end of the day you could check them both off? Or no? Inasmuch as chasen will necessitate the delay of the first mitzvah, that already is considered like it's impossible to do both, and therefore you're going to be granted an exemption. Now, I hope this is very clear up until now. Um, if this is not clear, the next stage is going to be very, very hard. So, I can't, uh, for time's sake, I can't, I think I, I spoke it out a few times already. I sent you the chart. Um, this next part is assuming that these two stances are clear already. Now, the Beis Yosef, I brought you a Beis Yosef in Source 7. The Beis Yosef is, you know, the, there's a commentary on the tour. The tour was one of the, the, it was the first Rishon that compiled different opinions of the early commentaries and made, um, I guess, a topical arrangement of all the different halachos that make up the entirety of Jewish law. 
and the Beis Yosef is the predominant commentary on this compilation of the Torah, and that eventually turned into what we know as the Shulchan Aruch, the basic uh, textbook of all of Jewish law. So here the Beis Yosef is discussing this opinion of Tosfos. And while discussing this opinion of Tosfos, he says something which we're going to find very bothersome. So let's see it together. We're about halfway into the Beis Yosef, and the Beis Yosef says as follows, That based off which Tosfos wrote, that which we say a person is exempt from a mitzvah while other mitzvah while performing a mitzvah that's limited to a circumstance that if he stops right here he's talking about a sofer a person who writes a scribe who writes tefillin if he stops writing the tefillin or if he says kriya shema or if he fills a different mitzvah he's going to prevent him from fulfilling the mitzvah that he's currently in how we would say it, it's a circumstance of he can't do both. Now what's his example? A person wants to go on a boat. Yeah, he's about to go on a boat or he's about to go on a caravan and he has to leave now. If he doesn't leave right now, he's going to miss his boat, he's going to miss the caravan and he's not going to be able to travel. And he wants to buy tefillin or he wants to buy a talus. And it's impossible for him to wait. And the sofer or the salesman has to say Kriya Shema, let's say. And if he doesn't say Kriya Shema, he's going to go ahead and he's going to miss the proper time to say it. But if he doesn't sell him his tefillin, the person who wants to go and sail away is going to miss his boat. So there, what's the halacha? The halacha says the Beis Yosef is that the person, the salesman, should sell the man his tefillin, and he's going to miss Kriya Shema. Ay, how can he miss Kriya Shema? It's a mitzvah deraisa. We have a precedent, Osik b'mitzvah, patamina mitzvah. Inasmuch as he's helping him right now, being able to put on tefillin, so he should continue helping him be able to fulfill tefillin, and he'll be exempt from the mitzvah of Kriya Shema. Aval, but, im efshelo lahamtin, if the person who's about to travel on the boat is able to wait. So then, He should first, the salesman should first say, Because he's going to lose out on its proper time. And then he should write his tefillin. So now like this. What did the Beis Yosef just tell us in the world of Tosfos? The Beis Yosef said that according to Tosfos, if the guy can't wait, because if he waits... He's going to miss his boat. So sell him his tefillin. And then you're going to be exempt from Kriyashma, no problem. But if he can wait, if he can wait, so then have him wait. Say Kriyashma because you're obligated to do so. And then afterwards sell him his tefillin. You get both mitzvahs done. What's that mean to say? The Beis Yosef is expressing the opinion of Tosvos that the ability to do both means I can fulfill both mitzvahs at the end of the day. I'm going to check them both off. Right? Because what's he telling you? If you can say Kriya Shema and get the man his tefillin, that's what you should do. According to us, this is totally not true. Why? Because to, according to us, the definition of EF Shalakayim Shneim, the inability to perform both mitzvahs, means that you can't delay the fulfillment of the first mitzvah. So if we're telling the person, 
you know what? Wait a minute. Let me say Kriya Shema, and then I'll say your tefillin. That's called delaying. So, if we have to delay, that's already enough to attain an exemption from the second mitzvah. So, if you're involved in the mitzvah, you're selling him tefillin, you've attained your exemption because you can't make him wait, why would you go ahead now and say Kriya Shema? You shouldn't say Kriya Shema. This is very, very difficult. What's the crux of the difficulty? Because if it's true what the Beis Yosef is saying, that Efshelakayim Shnei means I can get them both done, so why not get them both done? So according to the Beis Yosef's understanding of Tosfos, how are we supposed to understand the case of Chassan in the Gemara? What do I mean to say? In the world of Tosfos, the Beis Yosef agrees that in order to get an exemption, it has to be that it's impossible to fulfill both. If that's true, what's impossible to fulfill both mean? According to the Beis Yosef, impossible to fulfill both means that at the end of the day, I'll get them both done. So if we're talking about a chasen, stop for a minute preparing, say Kriya Shema, and then you'll keep preparing. You can get both of them done. So there's no reason, there's no explanation why a chasen should be exempt from Kriya Shema. And yet the Gemara says he is. So according to our understanding, it makes sense. You have to delay? That means you can't do both. You can't do both, you're exempt. But the Beis Yosef is saying you can do both, and you should do both. If you can do both, and you should do both, why is the Chassan exempt from Kriya Shema? Stop preparing, and say Kriya Shema, and go back to preparing. What's the half a minute going to make a difference? So this question is a catastrophe. This is, like, this is traumatic. Now because of the, the severity of this difficulty in the Beis Yosef, what I want to do is I want to take a step back. I want to take a step back and I want to discuss, go through an, uh, you know, a logical deduction of how to understand the concept of Osik mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah. And once we go ahead and do that, I want to revisit the Beis Yosef and try to attempt to explain where he's coming from. So to start off as follows. What does it mean, Osik mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah? Right? This is what we're, this is the, the most basic point that we have to try to understand. What's it mean, Osik? Just because I'm, invo- I'm involved in a mitzvah, you're exempt from a second mitzvah. So I have two potential reasonings behind here, behind this principle. One way to explain this principle is to say as follows that inasmuch as a person is involved currently in a mitzvah, or the preparation for a mitzvah, that would create an exemption to a second mitzvah. There's a bona fide exemption here. You're only obligated in one mitzvah. That would be how I would start. Osik mitzvah patamina mitzvah. I'm involved in a mitzvah currently. That creates an exemption for the other one. So therefore, when I go ahead and do one mitzvah, I can only be obligated in one mitzvah at a time. That would be my first explanation of what's this concept. The second way to explain what this concept is would to say that it's not... I never really get a bona fide exemption. There's no such thing. Rather, what is it? Since I'm currently involved, I'm actively involved in the performance of a mitzvah, so even though another mitzvah comes to plate, the Torah says the mitzvah which I'm currently involved in is more important to finish than starting a new mitzvah. So since I'm currently involved in mitzvah, a, I'm currently involved in the mitzvah of preparing to consummate my marriage. That would cause me to be exempt from mitzvah B, from the mitzvah of Kriya Shema. It's not saying that I'm exempting, I don't have a real exemption, I'm obligated. But the Torah says that the 
it's more important to prioritize the mitzvah you're currently involved in than to perform a second mitzvah. Now, in short, what are we saying? Is the osik be mitzvah, patamina mitzvah, say that you have a real exemption? Or is the principle of prioritization triage in regards to the fulfillment of mitzvahs? Now, why would, one, why would we take one approach over the other? So the basic understanding would be that there's a real exemption based off the language of the Gemara itself. The Gemara says, Osik mitzvah patr. Patr means you're exempt. So if we're going to take exempt literally, that would lead us to believe that you have a real exemption here, like the first dance. The difficulty with that is that really there's no logical reasoning behind that. Why would that be true? So we could just say, there's, you're right, there's no logical reasoning. But the Torah revealed it to us when it said, That's very legitimate. But if we say the second explanation, that it's not that you get, you're granted an actual exemption, but practically speaking, due to the fact that the Torah prioritizes that which you're currently involved in, don't stop doing mitzvah one to do mitzvah two. Why? What's the logic in that? Keep up the mitzvah you started. So then... That makes sense. There's a logic behind this principle. That would be the benefit, that would be the reason of saying the second side. Now besides the, the different pluses and minuses of saying each way, there's a practical difference. What's the practical difference? Let's say right now, the chassan is preparing to consummate his marriage, and he stops to say Kriya Shema. So if the precedent is, the understanding of the concept of Ulusik Mitzvah is a, a real exemption, so even if he says Kriya Shemai right now, it's very likely he doesn't fulfill a mitzvah. Inasmuch as he has a real exemption, so he's not obligated to saying Kriya Shema. So you don't get reward for doing a mitzvah. You're not obligated to him. So whereas, if the principle is really just a principle of prioritization, at the end of the day, he still has an obligation. So if he says Kriya Shema, he still fulfilled the mitzvah. That would be a practical difference between these two different stances, these two different explanations. Now, that we have this understanding of these two different explanations, either a real exemption or just a question of prioritization, I would start to address our original dispute between Tosis and the Ran. According to the Ran, a person has an exemption even when, right, a person has an exemption from the second mitzvah, even if at the end of the day they can fulfill both of them. Whereas according to Tosfos, you only get an exemption from the second mitzvah if the fulfillment of the second mitzvah would prevent or delay the fulfillment of the first mitzvah. Now, why did each one take the stance that they did? So what I would propose is that it depends on these two sides, these two different explanations. As The explanation is as such. If you understand, like the Ran, that you get and that you attain an exemption, always the reason is because the nature of the principle of osik b'mitzvah patamina mitzvah is that of a real exemption. So inasmuch as I have a real exemption right now from the second mitzvah, even if I could get it done at the end of the day, it's irrelevant. Because right now I'm not obligated in it. So if I am granted an, a, a, an exemption, a bona fide exemption, so the fact that I could actually do it at the end of the day is irrelevant to the present. And therefore, the Ran says that even when you could do both, it doesn't make a difference. As long as you're actively involved, you get that exemption, and that's the only thing we take into account. Whereas if Tosfus would say, that no, really, there's no real exemptions being given out here. Really, the whole discussion is a discussion of prioritization. 
which mitzvah should I do first? So then, I would only have to come on to a discussion of prioritization if I could only fulfill one of them. If at the end of the day I can do both mitzvahs, then who cares about prioritizing? I'll do both of the mitzvahs. But if it's a question of only being able to do one, and now I have to choose which one do I do, so then comes along Osik B'mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah and says prioritize the mitzvah that you're currently involved in. And therefore, what I would start is to say that these two different takes on understanding the concept of Osik B'mitzvah would translate into the, the, to explain this dispute between the stance of the Ran and the Tosfos. Yeah, again, that if we're talking about an exemption, that would mean that you're exempted under, even when you could fulfill both mitzvahs, and that's the stance of the Ran. Whereas if we're talking about prioritization, it only becomes a, a discussion of prioritization when you can only, when one mitzvah comes at the expense of another. Now, even though the logic here is pretty straightforward. The Rishonim didn't 100% agree. The Ritva here has a discussion. The Ritva asks the same question, how come a person when he's wearing tzitzis is obligated in sukkah? And he gives Tosas an answer. Because inasmuch as he could do both of them, the fulfillment of one doesn't prevent the fulfillment of the other. He's still obligated in both. And then he has a different discussion. The Ritva asks a question here. He asks... How come I need a Pasuk to teach me this principle of Osik B'mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah? It's pretty straightforward logic. Inasmuch as I'm involved in one mitzvah, why would I stop that mitzvah and perform a second one? Which meaning to say, his understanding of Osik B'mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah is like the explanation of prioritization. If I'm doing one, why would I prioritize a second? Logic dictates as such. I don't need a Pasuk answers the Ritva that really the explanation, understanding of Osik Mitzvah is that you get, you're given a bona fide exemption. There's a real Ptor here. And in as much as you have an exemption, there's no two mitzvahs you're obligated in. You're only obligated in one. And therefore, even if you have a mitzvah which is very, very big, you have a bris milah, that if you don't fulfill it, you're going to be chayv kares. You're still exempt from it when I'm involved in a mitzvah before that obligation took effect. So, Besides the actual, you know, give and take of the question and answer, which is very, very, it's, it's kishmak, it's awesome, because what do we see? We see that these two sides were the initial understanding of the Ritva, was assuming that Osik Vimitsa was a, a discussion of prioritization, and his answer is no, it's a, uh, it's a principle of exemption. So we see both of these, both of these explanations manifest in the Rishonim, that's stamen. It's a very, it's very geshmak. We see that they're true, but secondly, we see that he's understanding the ritva's understanding the nature of the exemption to only be when it's impossible to fill both, like tosfos, and yet he's saying the nature of the exemption is that of a genuine patur, a genuine exemption. So whereas we thought maybe the impetus for tosfos to say um, the you're only exempt when you're impossible to fulfill both, is because it's a question of prioritization. We see that's not true because the Ritva has the same stance and yet he's explicit that the nature of the exemption is a bona fide exemption and not a prioritization. So it's not, a, it's not difficult. We can understand why that logically is true also, but we don't have, we don't have any kind of uh, logical explanation why it has to be as such. So, 
So now that we have a better understanding of what the principle of Osik v'mitzvah actually is, so now I'm going to propose a new question. The question I want to propose is a lead-up to answer our difficulty in the Beis Yosef. The question is as follows. I understand that if the concept of Osik v'mitzvah is that when you're involved in performing one mitzvah, you get a real exemption from the second mitzvah. I understand how that could apply to a Heksha mitzvah also, the preparation. Because the Torah revealed to us that even the preparation from one mitzvah grants you an exemption for the second mitzvah. But if we were to understand the nature of osik v'mitzvah, patamina mitzvah, this principle, to apply as it's a principle of prioritization, how in the world could it be that a person who is currently involved in the preparation for a mitzvah, the Torah gives that more importance than a mitzvah, a real mitzvah, which comes to hand right now. Right now, a person, for example, a person, Archasen, he's preparing for Pururavu. He's preparing. He's not doing a mitzvah right now. All he's doing is preparing. And now, it's time to say Shema. And the Torah says, it's more important for you to keep up with your preparation than to do a mitzvah. Why would that be? The Torah mandates he does the mitzvah right now. The Torah doesn't mandate all this preparation. So why would it be that if the concept of osik, the mitzvah, potamina mitzvah, is a concept of prioritization, how could that concept ever apply to the to the pretext of, of, of preparation for a mitzvah also. So in order to answer this question, I think it goes back into the first part of the Shia, that what's the nature of the, the psukim originally? So the way we said it was that, according to Rashi, the nature of the exemption is that the Torah was qualifying under what circumstances you're obligated. You're only obligated... In mitzvos, when you're acting, when you're performing, when you're living, in doing things on your own volition. But what if you're acting, you're doing things because the Torah told you to? So here, I would conjecture that inasmuch as you're only acting because the Torah told you to, that wouldn't be called leches didcha, it's not lechtecha, but I would call that leches shamayim, you're doing something because Hashem told you to. So now, maybe... Even when it comes to a heksha mitzvah, the preparation for a mitzvah, so that tantamount that qualifies also as lecha shemayim. Why? Because what's why is the person right now preparing mentally for puravu? He's preparing because the Torah told him there's a mitzvah to get married, to have children, to procreate. So what? Why is he involved right now in this mental preparation? He's involved in it because there's a Torah mandate that he wants to fulfill. So currently. He's not doing leches v'lechtecha. He's not doing his own his own actions based off his own volition. Right now, his actions are purely based off what the Torah mandated. And therefore, inasmuch as that's true, that's what the Torah prioritized. The Torah prioritized that when you're, you only have to do mitzvos when you are involved in actions of your own volition. But right now, you're currently involved in what the Torah mandated from you. So therefore, therefore, that would go ahead and create an exemption. Now, this is a little bit of a stretch because, you know, if the Torah didn't mandate all this preparation, why is that called you're doing what the Torah wanted? Maybe it's only called doing what the Torah wanted when you're performing an actual mitzvah. But if the Torah didn't prepare the preparation, so then why is that qualify as 
Lecha Shemayim. Why is it qualified that you're doing what the Torah asked? So there's a Minchas Chinuch. The Minchas Chinuch in uh, Mitzvah Hay, when it's talking about Korban Pesach, goes on a little bit of a tangent and says that if a person before Rosh Hashanah or a person before Sukkot could have bought a shofar to blow or he could have bought a lulav to shake and he didn't do so, it's called, and now comes Yantif. Yantif, you can't buy a shofar. You can't buy a lulav. So maybe you would think he's exempt from the mitzvah because it's out of his control. Says the Minchas Chinuch, inasmuch as he knew that there was a mitzvah to do and it was, you know, he's going to need to have this lulav, he's going to need to have the shofar and he had the ability to get one and he didn't, it's as if he actively disqualified himself from the mitzvah. He was a mabatal and mitzvah He actively didn't fulfill the mitzvah. So this Minchas Chinuch sheds light onto this answer. We see that part and parcel of every Torah obligation is that you have to, you're obligated to make sure that you bring it out into fruition. You're obligated to make sure you're able to fulfill it. So that means that there's a, a universal obligation to always make sure that you can bring into fruition every mitzvah you're obligated in. So therefore, that's why that would be the reasoning to say that even a heksha mitzvah, even the preparation, is considered like you're doing lecha shemaim. You're doing something in action right now, not of your own volition, but because the Torah wants you to do it. The Torah mandates you to do this also. Now, if that's true, I want to say it depends. I want to say that there's two different types of heksha mitzvah, of preparation for a mitzvah. There's one type of preparation for a mitzvah where at the end of the day you're preparing a mitzvah that you're going to fulfill. You're going to do. So right now, I'm doing the preparatory work for the eventual mitzvah that I'm trying to fulfill. Then there's a different type of heksha mitzvah. There's a heksha mitzvah where I'm doing the preparatory work for a mitzvah that someone else is going to fulfill. I'm not going to do that at the end of the day. Someone else is going to walk away with the mitzvah. What would be an example of each? An example of a mitzvah that I'm preparing for and I'm going to fulfill is that a person gets married and he's now going to fulfill the mitzvah pruravu. So he has to go ahead and prepare himself mentally. So he prepares himself. And now that preparation is going to lead to an eventual fulfillment. Whereas there's a different type of mitzvah different type of mitzvah is selling someone tefillin. And when I sell someone tefillin, even though I'm preparing for the fulfillment of a mitzvah, it's a heksha mitzvah, we have to make sure people have tefillin in the world. But the person who sells it is not going to be the one who wraps it. The guy who's going on a trip is going to be the one that wraps it. So there, it's a different type of heksha mitzvah. It's a heksha mitzvah, which all you're involved in is the preparatory work. You're not involved in the actual fulfillment. Now, who cares? Why does that make a difference? So I want to propose as follows. Now, when it comes to a heksha mitzvah, which at the end of the day you're going to fulfill, so then that's the only time Tosfo said that delaying the mitzvah is considered it's like you can't do both. Why is that? Because inasmuch as right now you're involved in a process to bring about the fulfillment of the mitzvah, and you have to bring out that fulfillment, so then any delay of that is detracting from that which the Torah mandated. The Torah mandated that you do this mitzvah. And so you're involved right now in your fulfillment of the mitzvah, bringing that into fruition. You can't stop that process once you started it. What, there's another mitzvah? You're exempt. You don't have to do that. 
But what happens when I have a mitzvah where it's not up to me to fulfill? Someone else is going to fulfill it. So what's yes incumbent upon me? All that's incumbent upon me is to allow him to do it. I have to be able to enable him to have that fulfillment. But once my goal here isn't to bring the fulfillment of the mitzvah, so when I delay it, I'm not delaying the fulfillment of the mitzvah. It's not incumbent upon me to bring the fulfillment of the mitzvah. It's someone else's fulfillment. So all I have to do is enable it. So when this discussion of enabling, then maybe I'm going to propose that there, as long as you can get both done at the end of the day, I could say Kriya Shema, I can have my own fulfillment of my personal mitzvah, and I can still have the Heksha mitzvah of him having his tefillin. There, Tosis would say that under those circumstances, if you could do both, you have to do both. So like this, what was our initial question? Our initial question was that how can the Beis Yosef explain that when a tefillin salesman can say Kriya Shema, so and sell the tefillin, he should make the person who wants to buy the tefillin wait and say Kriya Shema, and then afterwards sell the tefillin. We learned from the case of Chasan that as long as we make him delay, that already qualifies as Yev Shalakayim Shneim, and he's exempt from Kriya Shema. So how come here we're obligating him? The answer is, what qualifies as Yev Shalakayim Shneim depends on what type of mitzvah we're discussing. If we're discussing a mitzvah which he himself is obligated in, and it's incumbent upon him to bring upon the fulfillment of the mitzvah, so then you can't delay it. And once you delay it, that already gives you an exemption on the second mitzvah. But if you're not obligated in the mitzvah itself, you're helping someone else fulfill their mitzvah, so then, under those circumstances, the nature of Yav Shalakayim Shneim changes also. Yav Shalakayim Shneim means that we have to make sure that everyone gets their mitzvahs done. You get your fulfillment and he gets the fulfillment. So as long as they both get your fulfillment to the end of the day, you're not delaying your own obligations. And in as much as that's true, we'll make sure that both people get their obligations fulfilled. And that would explain this, uh, our question on, on the, the Beis Yosef's understanding of the Tosfos. So now let's do a quick recap and we'll call it a day. We went ahead and explained a d- dispute between Rashi and Tosfos and the Ritva, that Rashi said that the reason we need two psukim to teach us the exemption of Osik Mitzvah, Patamina Mitzvah, both for a normative general principle and for Chassan was to teach us, number one, active involvement, either in the mitzvah itself or the preparation, as secondly, even intellectual involvement, that he derived from the redundancy of the verses of the Psilkim, and why do we have to say it twice? And the reason he focused on the redundancy as opposed to the context of the verses themselves is the fact that the order of the Psilkim convey that we're not taking the context into account, because if we were, it should say, Whereas Tosfos and the Ritva, we don't know what, what he derived, but the Ritva says we derive, firstly, we derive that any time you're involved in a mitzvah, whether it's active or passive, and second, the Pasuk tells us, even the preparation, whether it's active or passive. But what they do, what Tosas and both the Ritvah say, is that we take more into uh, account the context, and Velech Techavaderech will teach me Osik Mitzvah, and Beshiv Techavaveisecha will tell me that even the preparatory uh, stages is going to create an exemption. That was stage one. Stage two is under what circumstances do you get an exemption? So in the world of the Ran, you get an exemption whenever you're actively involved in one mitzvah, 
And we don't take into account whether or not you could fulfill both mitzvahs. That's an irrelevant aspect. Therefore, the Gemara of Chassan is very straightforward. Right now, I'm actively involved in preparing for mitzvah one. I'm exempt from mitzvah two, irrelevant if I could fulfill both or not. Tosfos is more complicated. Tosfos will tell us that you only are granted an exemption when the performance of mitzvah two will prevent the performance of mitzvah one. From the case of Chassan, we redacted that and said, you're only obligated in, you're only exempt from mitzvah two when the performance of mitzvah two will even delay mitzvah one. That qualifies as Iyav Shalakayim Shnehem. From that, we had a question on the Beit Yosef. How could the Beit Yosef say that if a person was selling tefillin could go ahead and say Kriyashman, still be able to sell the tefillin to the person who's going to see he should do so? It's causing a delay, and that's against the premise we said. And to that, we said a novel concept that there's two different types of Heksha Mitzvah. There's a Heksha Mitzvah where you're preparing for yourself, for your own fulfillment of a Mitzvah, and for your own fulfillment, you can't delay it. And that's what Tosas was referring to when he's talking about the case of Chassan. Whereas when you were talking about a Heksha Mitzvah, where it's not up to you to fulfill it, because you're not going to fulfill the Mitzvah at the end of the day. Someone else is. So there, the parameters are different, we take into account, can both mitzvahs get done? During that interim, we also had a discussion on the nature of what's a mean osik mitzvah, is that a discussion of a real bona fide exemption, or a, a question of prioritization, and the different ramifications those two different logical reasonings would have within the sukya. Okay, I hope it was clear. Please, if anyone has any questions, feel free to reach out to me privately, or you could reach out in the group if you think that anyone else is also going to benefit from the question. And uh, I hope you enjoy it.